Welcome to A Longer Table Podcast, a space where curiosity and proximity will challenge everything you thought you knew. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter, inviting you to pull up a seat. You just might leave thinking, maybe we're not so different. This episode is brought to you by Cozy Earth. You've probably heard me talk about them before because I love their pajamas and their bedding. E and I are obsessed with their sheets because they're temperature regulating and they're made with bamboo viscose. You can shop the world's softest bedding, towels, pajamas, loungewear, and more, and get 35% off using the code ALONGERTABLE. All of their products come with a 10-year warranty, and right now they're running a Valentine's sale. So in addition to the code that I just gave you, ALONGERTABLE, you can get everything for an additional 25% off. So run to Cozy Earth and get those pajamas and the bedding. It You won't regret it. I promise you. It's why it's been on Oprah's favorites and now it's on Manda's favorites. My guest today is Mary Van Geffen. She's an international parenting coach for moms of what she calls spicy ones. For more than a decade now, Mary has worked with thousands of parents to help transform the way they show up for their kids and for themselves. She's all about helping you practice the spiritual discipline of staying calm, kind, and firm with your spirited powerhouse of a kid, even when they don't deserve it. She helps parents gain confidence to choose gentle, respectful discipline, even if they weren't raised that way. In my conversation with Mary, we cover quite a bit, but the ultimate question that we're answering is, how can I have a healthy relationship with my child? Mary, welcome to A Longer Table Podcast. Thank you for having me. What an honor. I am really excited to talk about all things parenting with you. I am someone who cares so much about having a healthy relationship with my son, who's of our biological child, but also all the kids that come in and out of our home. And I love the way that you are um, your parenting coach, but you also really share your wisdom with people on the internet free of charge, which is a huge value add. So that is why I keep you in my feed is because I feel like it's not a mindless scroll, but I actually get to learn something. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. So let's dive in. You're a parenting coach specifically for moms of spicy ones. What is a spicy one? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm a spicy one, but a spicy one is somebody who is pretty inflexible, um, very persistent. They tend to express themselves in big, dramatic ways. They're intense and persistent, and they're not afraid to take up space, and they can tend to be high energy and moving around all the time. Some spicy ones hurt folks unintentionally. They feel things so much deeper. They're louder. Everything's kind of bigger, and they can use these powerful words that just break us to the core, but they can also use like poetry to explain their love for us. And they're often very aware of other people's feelings, but it doesn't really translate to the way they caretake because these spicy ones don't generally caretake. They are doing what matters to them. They are powerfully negotiating until they realize that we're not going to flex on a certain boundary and then they melt down so intensely. They're really comfortable telling adults what's up. Um, Mm. And, you know, like that our other, our peers are not, and they are just 
completely true to themselves rather than pleasing others. They don't have any people pleaser in them. And they also have like amazing observation skills. Like they'll notice if a chair has been moved or if the recipe has slightly been tweaked. They are also really hard to console physically. And spicy ones can be incredibly sweet and caring and loyal. Are you a spicy one? I think I might be a spicy one. <laughs> I'm sure my mom will listen to this and say, yep, you're a spicy one. Um, and I like that you pointed out that they're not people pleasers because that's like definitely, I don't want my child to be a people pleaser. But at the same time, there's other elements of this spiciness that can be frustrating or difficult. I often will say that I think my son is a sour patch kid. He's sweet and then he's yes. sour and I don't know what I'm going to get. And it's it's a journey, which is all toddlers at one point or another, I'm sure. But what led you to become a parenting coach? What led you to do all of what you're doing today? I think it was mostly reaching my the end of my abilities and and finding myself like not enjoying parenting and not knowing what to do with this larger than life child. And because it wasn't obvious what the next step was, I just sort of became, I guess, you know, people talk about rock bottom and addiction. And I think I was addicted to control and seeming like I had it all together. And that both of those things were impossible when my child had a whole game plan that was as intense as, as I did. And so I started therapy. I started um, going to parenting classes and kind of what I needed wasn't immediately out there because a lot of the stuff that works on a typical child um, doesn't work on a spicy one. And so um, kind of sifting through how to support what the support I needed and didn't necessarily have. And also, so like knowing that part of what makes a child spicy is not really about the child. It's sort of the baggage or the inclinations or the vision that the parent has that's sort of almost like clashing with this child they actually have been gifted. So um, I just kind of, I was at my wits end. I started getting help. I started learning things. I started shifting the way I showed up and how I um, defined a good mom or what success looks like. And I found just so much relief from a long process. And now after coaching hundreds, maybe a thousand different people individually, I kind of have a system now for how to, how to do this. Um, because I think parenting is like the ultimate, like spiritual journey. Like you, Mm. you can't, get out of it without really figuring out who you are and and kind of reorganizing what matters to you, not to mention all the brain changes that literally happen in a yes. mother. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. What would you say is like the the true goal of people who work with you? Like what what do you want them to get out of it or what are they coming to you hoping to gain? There's a, there's a few different types and now I mostly just do like one hour parenting courses that I have a bunch of, but generally I think they want to like their child and actually enjoy Mm. parenting them. And they're stuck a bit in a cycle of feeling resentment towards this kid who I remember my own mother having a lot of resentment of like, you know, I always had to knock you down a peg or two. You wanted to be queen. I had to let you know who's boss. When you're stuck in that cycle, 
parenting, there's no flow to it. So, um, and you do start to dislike, I, I've had many parents say, I don't like this kid. I wouldn't mm. want to be with this kid if, if they weren't my child. And so I think a big part is like, they want to like their kid. They want to enjoy this job. And then there's also like, they want to be effective. Like there's this fear, like I'm not doing enough or I'm not equipping this kid to be a functioning member of society. Like I'm not enough. So it's helping them see where their own gifting is more than enough, but also just equipping. Like a lot of this parenting is not common sense. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. And the problem too, though, I think is that we almost have information overload on the internet. Like I love that on your website and something I've heard you say on the internet is you don't have to parent without a map, which is beautiful and wonderful. But sometimes I actually feel like there's almost too many maps or maybe they're not maps, they're rule books. There's advice from this blogger and -and so-and-so saying this. And it's just so much and it's almost overwhelming that I forget that I also just have my own intuition that I can trust and lean on. Yes. And pulling apart like what is like wise intuition and what is like fear-based or cultural programming of how a good mom or a good kid acts. That's kind of like a whole journey on itself. But I, I definitely agree. There are so many experts out there and the only ones I listen to are pointing me back to myself. It's mm, good. And I and I I am aware that like we just said two contradictory things. We said <laughs> parenting is not common sense and then oh please follow your intuition. And I guess the the part that I don't think is common sense is the part that's been um like acculturated or I don't know a, a normal word to use where you have bought into what what you think you're supposed to do as a parent. And if you think you're supposed to control and get a child that is nice and um, does X, Y, and Z, that's where the common sense gets covered up because you're trying to make something happen that you you really can't. So you're just caught in this eternal struggle. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, for people like me who are in the stage, let's say raising little ones, maybe a child who isn't even school-aged yet, or, or maybe they are school-aged, but they're young and they're not cooperating. They may say no a lot or throw tantrums in the middle of Target, which leave us anxious and sweaty. Okay. I'm talking about my day yesterday. Um, what's your what's your advice? And And does that say more about my child or does that say more about me? Am I doing something wrong? Is this normal? Because I feel like I vacillate between between wondering, am I being too soft on him and he's going to turn out to be a spoiled brat? Or am I being too hard on him and I need to just understand that this is appropriate for his age right now? I, I'm always, it feels like, wondering and processing those things, especially on a really uh, hard day where it's been tantrums and no's and you know lack of cooperation. Hmm. I'm going to be annoying and say, I'm not sure the goal is cooperation so much as it is connection. And and yet you want to have like a peaceful day. You want to be able to set the direction and have everybody do it. Um, but at two, he's gotten like barely a prefrontal cortex. Like there's not a lot of rationality in a two-year-old. So mm. it's, it's still the age where mostly he's he's co-regulating off you. So he's going to be disappointed so much. The spicier he is, or she is, or they are, the more they are going to just um, 
have big swings of like, oh, I wanted this thing and instead this happened. So I don't think we can judge ourselves as doing a good job or not doing a good job because they cooperated or not. I think it's, did we stay calm ourselves? Did we, um, I mean, one of the things we can do is we can cast a vision of what's going to happen. We're heading into Target and you really like to play with the toys there. Yes. Um, I want to remind you, we don't bring the toys home from Target, but I like it toys. I know you do. <laughs> and the toys stay at Target. Do you want to be sad now or do you want to wait till we're leaving Target? What's your plan? I mean, you're you're talking in a way that's sort of enrolling this child in what the vision is. You're reminding them beforehand. You're telling them what your expectation is. In Target, you will stay in the push cart, but I will let you hold a toy. Okay. Now, are we bringing the toy home? Yes. No. Remember, we're not going to bring the toy home. So a lot of talking up front, casting a vision for what's going to happen and then like being prepared for it to all go wrong. Like you might have mm. with a spicy one, you might have multiple times where it's like, okay, we're not buying this almond milk today. I am going to breathe out. I'm going to calmly pick my child up and say we're headed home because you feel you're in this zone where you can't, it's so hard to stay calm in public as your child mm. is freaking out. So I don't know, does that answer your question? It does, it does. And I actually appreciate one of the things that you're you're not saying, well, I didn't expect you to say this, but you know, sometimes it feels like, well, maybe we, do we just give in every time they want something, or do I just say, oh, okay, mommy? You're like, I think people do that because it's a, it's embarrassing when you're in public and your kid is having a meltdown. I think I'm learning to be more comfortable with it because I'm feeling more confident in my abilities to parent. But that has taken time. Um, I think it's still a journey. But yeah, I, I like the connection over cooperation. And I, I, I'm i a verbal processor. And so that feels like a really easy thing for me to start just being more intentional about with verbally kind of cute cluing him in on, okay, you know, you're going to sit in the cart and this is how this is going to be. And I, I like that. Okay, but can I, I push back that I, your tone of voice, um, you can stay warm and affirmative. I hear a little bit of like, Oh, like a little bit of like um when we clench our teeth, I hope this works. That's kind of the vibe yeah. <laughs> I got off you, which I don't think you meant. But it can be it can be really like I suggest everybody find the voice that lives down in your belly that's kind of gravelly, your deepest voice, where you say, We're headed to Target. And at Target, <laughs> we get to touch the toys, but we don't bring them home. Do you feel the difference between that and listen, we're going to Target? And I, I it's really important. You know, you can feel that like you've almost almost already failed on some level. Um they that child feels that way because the Yeah. Uh, are you what are you hearing me say? Yeah. I think the tone of voice communicates whether or not you're going to be easily pushed over or if you're mm. going to stand your ground and, and they sense that. And if it also communicates, do I believe what I'm saying is appropriate to ask of this child? And sometimes we're having like an inner wrestling with, I don't know, shouldn't I just, am I going to actually walk him towards unhappiness? Is that what a bad mom does? So getting clear on your own inner thing before you even utter what your limit is with your child is pretty crucial. Society is allergic to people having big feelings. Like we, everybody's sense of safety is sort of tied into this nonverbal contract that everybody stay calm and don't have big emotions. Well, guess what? Kids didn't sign up for that. And 
two-year-olds have to have so many episodes of big, gigantic feelings that rock their whole system while mom breathes and stays calm. And it's not fair that you might feel this vibe in Target that the culture is not to be crying and screaming, but it's very appropriate for a two-year-old to a four-year-old to a six-year-old to be that upset. They don't choose where they're going to get upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so on this note, uh, let's say the child doesn't follow the rules or doesn't listen and I'm firm but warm, I follow through. What are appropriate consequences for, let's, let's, I, if you're willing, I'd love to hear appropriate consequences for different age groups because I know our listeners have, some people have kids that are babies and toddlers, some elementary age, old, some are have, you know, teens. And also would just love to hear your thoughts on spanking because I hear so many different sides of this conversation and, and would just love to know what are appropriate consequences for kids if you wouldn't mind breaking it down sort of by, by the age range. Sure. I want to start by saying, it's you're you're asking a totally normal question. Everybody asks that. It's like, what should I do when this happens? And um, and in fact, I have a whole class called Firm. It's a one hour class on how to get firm. But I I I think a more um, healthy question to ask is how do I teach and model this skill that's important to me? Um, when we're jumping to what's the consequence if they don't do it. A um, couple things happen there. One, we're sort of setting up our own brain um, to be looking for it not to work mm. and sort of moving towards that negativity. And number two, we're really focused on punishment. And punishment is like your big gun. That's like, whoa, I set an expectation. All the... um all the elements were right. You weren't hungry. You weren't angry. We weren't late. You weren't tired and you still didn't do it. You were so defiant now, you know, and that's when maybe you need punishment. But if you're needing to punish a kid on the regular, then I think your discipline strategy is a little bit off. Um, I think Ooh. it's old school and we've evolved, man. We, we understand nonviolent pa um, parenting and communication and we understand um, mental health and emotional um, maturity. So instead of what's the consequence, I would want to know what skill are you trying to teach and kind of what went down? Can you, can you give me maybe an example? And I could tell you how I would respond in that because the consequence is usually going to be, I'm going to use my body to make happen the thing I said I wanted to happen. And I'm going to do it calmly, kindly, and firmly. Nobody mm -hmm. has to be in trouble. Um, I don't have to be angry and disconnect. I don't have to grit my teeth. I just have to know that as the parent and the leader in this relationship, when I say we're going to get in our car, si car seat, we're going to get in our car seat now. I don't need to punish. I don't need to be disappointed. So maybe give me an example of something. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go with for the younger, like toddler age hitting. I feel like a lot of kids go through a hitting phase. How do you handle that? How, if, if our son continues to hit me, and mm -hmm. it's almost like he waits to see how we're going to react. What, I can what see his face that? now. <laughs> I'm telling so, you, he's he's super cute too. Um, oh, I bet. Um, how do we so handle that? So a couple that? things. He, hitting is generally, mom, I've reached the edge of my coping skills. I am overstimulated or I am so um, passionately upset about something. I don't see any other options. It's like a part, it's like when when we as adults kind of get 
fully triggered and we say things that are just so hurtful and not how we really feel maybe to our partner, um, it's because we are completely dysregulated and we've reached, we don't have any other skills. So to me, hitting is not about punishing. It's about equipping that child. And especially when they're, you know, under five, it's being attuned with them to see when their body um, and their nervous system is becoming more and more sort of like um, troubled. You know, when we're picking up, up cues, like this child is is not play date worthy right now. They are upset and distraught. So there's more likelihood that they're going to hit. So we're kind of like slowing things down, like basically trying to avoid the hit rather than deal with it after. This child wants to be successful. They they want to please you. So if you can see that they're like, and you know that their next thing is hitting, let's change the, the course of what happens. Let's go like, whoa, you are so angry. Here, push against my hand. You know, give them a, a physical way to get that anger out that's not hitting. But let's say you miss the window or maybe you've got a child that just goes from zero to 60. I know a lot of kids that are spicy do that. Then it's like, here comes that hand. You hold, you grab, I, you can't see me, um, but I am I'm using a little bit of self-defense. I'm putting my hand up. I'm catching the hand and I'm slowly bringing it down and saying, no, thank you. You may not hit me. I don't have to meet that aggression with aggression. In fact, it is more likely I will teach peaceful skills if I can help this child not be triggered into feeling like they did something wrong. Like once a child is feeling ashamed, they're all their learning um, parts of their brain just shut down. So we've got we're we're not teaching them anything. So rather than have a consequence, it's like no, no, thank you. And at two, I would work with you. You're still in distraction land where you can yeah. <laughs> pick the child up and say, let's let's head over here. We don't hit. Let me show you how you touch mommy. Um, but he is looking. A lot of times at two, the hit is about I want to connect. I want to feel something. I want to. So this little guy might need some serious roughhousing and mm-hmm. some steamrollering and some, um, uh, you know, heavy work that gets some of that, like, I'm feeling it right now. What can I, can I hit something? Like it's a normal f- impulse. Um, we just want to create, um, try to help them be successful by getting ahead of it if we can, or, um, giving them other things to do when they have that big feeling. That's so good. Oh, I love this. I you you're you're already making me just think about um things I'm gonna try tonight when he gets home from Ooh, daycare. What are you gonna try? I I think that one thing that Shy would really like is if I respond. I definitely get. I I usually respond like, "No, we don't hit mommy," which probably isn't the right way to respond. Um, but I definitely think if I said, "Oh, push mommy's hand," like I could see his little smirk, and then he would totally redirect and channel the energy that way. I think that would be um something that he would probably really maybe even like laugh and like giggle and enjoy. So it could turn that moment from this sort of negative thing into a really positive, yeah, moment of connection as you referred to it. Yeah. And what Um, I heard you saying in there was like, you, you're going to shift kind of what you're making it mean, which is pretty powerful too. Like the hit is not bad mommy. I want to hurt you. Yeah. The hit, what do you think he's wanting or or thinking in that moment? Yeah, I, I think I've known that he doesn't hit me more than other people because he doesn't like me as much or anything like that. I don't take it personal or anything. I think even just from our foster care journey, I know that even outside of trauma, but 
that children often, and you can disagree with this, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but they often will misbehave the most or the loudest around the people that they love the most and feel the safest exhibiting that behavior around. And so I think that with Shia, um, kind of losing my train of thought here, but that with Shia, I think he feels he knows how much I love him and we're so close and our attachment is so secure that he knows that I would never hurt him, which is probably part of why he feels comfortable hitting me, but he would never hit a stranger at this mm, age, yeah. at least. You're not raising a hitter. You're, you know, you're raising someone who is having a big impulse in the moment and we just need to give them different things to do in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. As okay. well as figure out like, what is it they're wanting? They're, what's the human need behind this inappropriate behavior? Right. Right. And I will say it's what you were just describing feels true when he's overly stimulated or if I'm distracted because I've noticed the hitting will happen. Mm -hmm. If I'm closing my laptop or I'm wrapping something up or I'm talking on the phone, that's it's like almost like give me all your attention, which something that we've been implementing for, I, I don't know, several months now is the last 10 minutes before our son goes to bed. I think it's called the 10 minute miracle. I heard about it on the internet somewhere, but we do nothing but play with our son and give him all our attention for those last 10 minutes before bed. So no phones allowed. We're usually on the floor at eye level with him. We're playing trucks. We're reading a book. We're singing a song. And it's it's like he's the center of our world for those 10 minutes in particular. Again, not to say you can't be present in all the other parts of your life, but it's just a really concentrated 10 minutes before bed. And we started doing it in an effort for him to sleep better because he has some sleep struggles. But it also just ended up being like, oh, this is a really fun and fruitful time for our family to connect. Well, I just want to say that that's it's beautiful that he can rely on the fact that no matter what happens during his day, he is going to have connection with you at the end of the day. And I think that is just so important for him to know in his body. And I just, you said, you know, of course we need to be present all the other times. No, we don't. We do not need to be fully present to a child all day long. That is not how we were wired. We were supposed to be in a village where somebody took off with all the kids for a few hours while we ground Mesa or whatever we were doing. And so I I, I think these 10 minutes that you know in your heart you're going to give them and and they know is can be more than enough. I would I would say sprinkle in two more and doing them earlier in the day can help. We kind of want to front load our connection if we want good behavior during the day, um, mm. which is separate from the miracle of ending your day together. That that's amazing. But also, if you're if you're struggling with um, a child's behavior throughout the day, having moments earlier in the day that they can count on that we're going to connect, which then give you permission to say, "Not right now. I'm on the phone," because you know you've already connected. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good. We'll get back to the conversation after this quick advertisement. Able is moving fashion forward by creating go-to wardrobe pieces that empower both the women who wear them and the women who make them. You've heard me talk about Able before because they're my favorite brand. My favorite place to shop is ableclothing.com. I love the white button down. It's the Harris button down and the Merrily jean jacket. In fact, I love it so much that I was wearing it, I believe, four days in a row, according to my foster daughter who pointed it out to me. Teens are humbling. So you can shop 
for a jean jacket or whatever you want at ableclothing.com using the code alongertable15 for 15% off. Now, back to the show. Okay, so another scenario. Um, let's say I have an elementary school child who's refusing to do their homework. Just completely refusing, shutting down, throwing, maybe throwing the pencil, like just will not cooperate in completing their homework. What do I do? What do you think's driving it? Mm. Yeah, I would say for a lot of kids that we've had in our care, when this type of scenario has come up, they feel overwhelmed by the work. They're exhausted from the school day. And so it just feels like their brain can't handle anymore. Um, that is so intuitive, Amanda. That that makes total sense. And so I don't think the goal should be this kid's got to do their homework. If you're creating a safe space for sort of traumatized humans, I think success is you made it to school, you came home, and this is a safe space, and we'll attempt the homework, and when you get overwhelmed, we'll pull back from it, and and maybe they're not going to be an academic star, and I know that's not what people want to hear. They want it's like, how do you, how do I get this kid to do what I need them to do? But in the instance you're describing, I think their their body budget is depleted. Hmm. Mm. I like that. Thank you for the now permission. You, Oh, of course. Now, if somebody's listening is like, my kid's not traumatized, how do I get them to do homework? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it. there's obviously creating like a destination, a space that is warm and consistent. And um, when they get home, first starting with um, some food, get some food back in their system, some connection, not know so much like how was your day because they can't really answer that. But maybe you tell a story from your day or you read to them or you head to the park and you're just watching them like you said for 10 minutes. And as they're looking up, they're like, wow, got her full attention. Um, so having some kind of connection and then having it be very predictable that, you know, at, at four o'clock, we always sit down and maybe mom or dad is sitting down with me and you've got not your phone, but like a magazine or a book, something that allows you to sort of body double for them. Like this is what we're doing right now. Or maybe you're writing in your journal or you're working on your calendar, but you're kind of modeling and doing it with them until it becomes something that's normal before it's just like, hey, you do this and I'm going to go make dinner, which doesn't really work. Mm. Mm, that's good too. I like the modeling thing. It's almost like when we, my husband and I really wanted some of our kids to read more often, even just once a week, just to be sitting with a book. These were kids that came to us through foster care. So again, a little bit different. But one of the only things that ended up working was that every Saturday morning, my husband and I would sit in our chairs and read our book. And eventually the kids just grabbed a book and started reading at our feet. Oh. And that was like the only time we'd ever not told them to read that they were actually reading. And so I think there is so much power in modeling. Yes. Yeah. Being the change you want. Isn't that what Gandhi says rather than telling people what to do? Totally. Yeah. Um. I think you alluded to this, but would love to hear if you if you don't mind sharing. As a foster parent, I can't spank even if I did want to spank a child. That's per the laws here in California. So we are a non-spanking household. My husband also feels very strongly against spanking. And so there's no judgment for people listening that spank. But I would love to hear your thoughts on spanking as, you know, in this conversation about consequence and punishment and dealing with spicy kids. Mm. 
Well, I guess the beauty of Spicy Kids is violence does not work in any way on this child. It just sort of hardens them and makes them more angry and you're going to get violence back. Um, I come from a uh, I'm sort of an ex-evangelical Christian. Now I'm I'm more I would say a reconstructing Christian, and so I I, I came of my spiritual age with a lot of um, almost like a good parent spanks, and mm. I rebuke all of that. Um, so I guess I do. You want my spiritual answer to this, or just like parenting expert answer? Either is fine. You know. You know, feel free to share both because a lot of our listeners do have that um, are are part of a faith community, and I think that would resonate. But feel free to share, yeah, both or or whichever direction you want. Okay, yeah, I in in terms of a faith based answer to whether or not to speak, um, I believe that, um, you know, my my Christianity tells me that Jesus was gentle and his yoke was light and um physical um punishment is not a part of um of a of a walk with a child and um you know a lot of people like to bring up the rod and the staff um and that imagery comes from um a shepherd and no shepherds beat their sheep sheep are very uh like shaky nervous creatures um the the staff was used for them to see it in the distance and to know where the shepherd was it was also used to um fight off any predators and so i think there's been this misuse of um this idea of like breaking the the will of a child being like a a spiritually um like a like a thing we're supposed to do and I don't agree that you represent God to your child. I, I think that you are a fallen human who's doing the best you can, um, and you're not the God to that child. And I don't think you have a right to um, harm a, a young person. And uh, I feel so passionate about it that I'm not as um, as articulate as I want to be. I just I see no argument for um, using. Um, a form of hurting a child's body or causing them pain to teach a lesson. Um, mm. I, I don't. That doesn't make sense. No, no person who's at all educated in child development would ever say to do that. And um, it's it's just not appropriate. And to create the home you want that's warm and welcoming and the kind of place people want to come back to for Thanksgiving in twenty years. Um, the corporal punishment's not going to get you there. Yeah. What's going to get you there is you working on your own patience and um and like we said before modeling gentleness and perseverance and integrity and yeah. I don't know, mm. ask me a question because I'm going off the rails. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is all really great and I just have to say too that after finding you on Instagram and then going to your website, I read about your beliefs, um, your beliefs about children being made in God's image with uh, that applies to LGBTQ plus and, and all of that. And so I was like, oh my gosh, Mary's my person. I love her. So um, I appreciate mm-hmm. you kind of sharing. Yes, you're a parenting expert, but you you also are actually very open about some of that ex-evangelical reconstructing Christian values and beliefs. And you're very open about that, which I think this is a little off topic, but I just, I find that so admirable. And I try to be the same way because 
there are a lot of people who aren't affirming, let's say, or or whatever it is that um, would continue to work with families and just like hide or not disclose that truth. And I think that's really harmful. Mm -hmm. So just want to say that I really respected that about when I saw that on your website. Thank Um, you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely made my audience smaller, but that's okay with me. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I know I've lost some, some interesting opportunities, but that's all right. I don't want to be there anyway. Um, as far as the spanking stuff goes, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think even just in my own journey of learning child development and then trauma, which is again, it's different raising kids who are coming to me through foster care, but, but even still it, it just, it, it does not make sense on paper to hit a child to teach them not to hit or to hit a child to teach them not to lie or to hit a child for any reason at all. But there are people who feel like we're taking gentle parenting too far or that we're we're too soft nowadays or my generation is raising a bunch of, uh, gosh, I don't even know what they say, but I hear these things. I think um, my parents and my in-laws and, and, people sometimes probably look at the way we're parenting and don't agree with it. Um, And that's okay as long as they respect it. But I guess I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on how do we navigate those conversations when someone is telling us that we're being too soft or that the way we've just spoke, you know, that the way we've just dealt with a situation with our child, like, Oh, you, in my day, you would have gotten a, a whooping for that or whatever they say. How do we, how do we handle that? What's your advice? Mm, it's so triggering, isn't it? Um, and it's, it's usually coming from people that we want to really think we're doing a good job. Yeah. It's a little awkward. Cause I'm just like, man, I'm doing my best. Yeah. I think we, it kind of depends on your relationship with the person, right? I mean, it's like, Let's not throw pearls to pigs. If this person is in the grocery store saying that, then we say, mm, okay, and we move on. If it's our mom, that's a difference. So uh, I just want to caveat that, like how much you say, don't spend a lot of time trying to change strangers' um, perspectives. Um, but I think we can rest on the fact that we are following um, research-backed child development and um, all the... Uh, science now around um, around trauma and um, relational health, and we're choosing to help them co-regulate rather than to add on things that might get them their nervous system on high alert. And we're also, I'm like talking to the mom right now, the grandmom. Mom, I'm also kind of going for the long term here. Like the skill that I'm trying to teach and that you want out of this child is very important, but it's going to come after repeated interactions. I'm not looking for first time compliance, um, which I know was a part of your generation. But um, for me, I'm really looking on building a relationship so that I can stay um a figure in this child's life that is constantly kind of helping them and assisting them to, you know, be the best human they can be. Mm. That's good. Not necessarily looking for instant or right now compliance, thinking about it more for the long haul. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, A little bit switching gears, but wanted to make sure before we wrap up our conversation that I get to this question that I had for you, which is I 
I know my friends and I often will talk, we'll be like, we're trying so hard to be good parents, right? We're going to therapy, dealing with our stuff, probably the best gift we can give to our kids, or at least we're, you know, hoping that it pays off and serves them well um, as we navigate our own healing. But I, we, we will talk to each other. I, I have several mom friends that I've talked to about this, and we are scared that our kids are going to grow up and say, you didn't play with me enough, or you were too busy working. And, and I'm mostly talking about, I'm in a little group of other working moms. So we all send our kids to daycare. And there's just a guilt that sometimes comes with that. And I think it's just one of my greatest fears that I'm not giving him enough or I'm not playing with him enough. And you you actually already addressed this briefly a little bit ago when you said, no, we're not meant to be present and on with them at all times of every day, but that it takes a village. And I love that. And I appreciate that. Um, but I just want to know your thoughts on being present with our kids and how do we know, how can we measure if it's ever enough? Can we? Is there mm, anything well, on that that you hear from parents regularly? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, the, probably the number one critical thing that a mom is saying to herself is I'm not doing enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. I mean, that's just the human experience. And so let's normalize that, that there's this anxious part of everyone that is fearful they're not doing enough. But we don't want that part of you to run the show or to be the person that makes parenting decisions. Instead, we need you to kind of let that part sit down, maybe get in the backseat rather than drive or be in shotgun and choose a more grounded perspective, that long-term perspective, kind of like our most sage, like grounded self what does she say about the relationship you're building? And what does what does it look like to do enough? Like if we haven't defined it, then we never meet it. It's so convenient mm. for that critical voice that we have. So like put take a moment and as a journal prompt, like what does it look like to do enough? Write it all out and then see if you just described like a superhuman um, that doesn't <laughs> exist. You know, like let's let's see what enough looks like. But there's also like, I don't think it's going to be about you didn't play with me. It's going to be how did I feel in your presence? Mm. Did you see me? Was I important? Was I safe? Was I liked? So mm. if a mom who works can only kind of be with her kid for a couple hours a day, but she likes that kid during that time, she's done her own self-work and, um, and self-discipline to really be fully just are available during that time, then that kid's going to grow up fine. I, I I think it's really important to like to let yourself off the hook for being a playmate. That's mm. not your job. Your job is to be to help self to help co-regulate. So to to be a person who is calm, who creates safety emotionally, um, who delights in them because nobody's going to like them or or think they're as great as you do. And so if you don't like your child right now, then get your butt over to my site and sign up for Moms of Spicy Ones because <laughs> um, that's a normal beginning point. I also want to offer the idea to really brand and market the one-on-one -on -one time you do have with your child. So I think sometimes we're like, oh, it wasn't enough or I'd never name it, put it on the calendar. Like, don't forget on Wednesday, we're going on a date or don't forget every day before, um, 
before we eat dinner, you and I get to go on a walk, just me and you. Like, talk about it beforehand, name it something, talk about it afterwards. Like, we can do a little bit of Jedi um, mind tricking here, and I and I mean that totally facetiously. But we can we can bring attention to the beauty and the connection that is there by talking about it, and mm. also it it helps keep us accountable when we are like, I will have three times a day, ten minutes each, where I'm going to connect with this child, and and either I'll do it and they won't really know, or I'll make it really clear I'm doing it. Like it's mommy and me time. What are we up to? What are we doing? Um, Now, the hard thing is when they're teens is you set aside this time and they want nothing to do with you. It's when you're busy and have like a deadline that they're like, guess I won't tell you what happened at school then. So (laughs) it's harder when they're older. Yeah, I think back to my mom who was a single mom raising me and she didn't have a ton of time to give me. I think based on our conversations today, like she's like, Nanda, I worked a lot. I was you were at your grandparents a lot or the daycare a lot or with a sitter. But when you weren't at those places or with those people, when I wasn't working, I was playing with you. I was with you. And I think we had such high quality moments. They might have been fewer moments than some of my peers, but they were probably as high, if not higher quality moments. Mm. And I think that that's exactly, it's making your point. Yes. And I have two thoughts that I want to add to that. One is, make sure that part of your time away from them is your self-care time because it's not fair if you're working your tail off, then you walk in and now you got to be fully on as this amazing relational mother. Like where's that middle zone, which is you floating in a, in a float tank or taking a walk by yourself or listening to a podcast, like do plan for those moments of nutrients that you need as a parent to want to be with this kid. And it can't just be work unless you're so inspired by your work. And then the other thought is when you're with them, it's not so much that you have to play with them. It's just that you have to meditate on them. Mm. And if you hate Monopoly and that's what they like to play, you don't have to play Monopoly, but you do need to sit your butt on the floor with nothing else in your hands and just kind of ruminate on them, watch them with a slight smile on your mouth um, without making them have to talk um, where you're just emanating. I like you. I'm interested in you. And maybe you're, oh, you're going to play with those today. Ooh, I want to see what you build. Um, But don't talk the whole time. I think we kind of have gone overboard where we narrate the whole thing. And that's really fatiguing for a kid. Um, But you just meditating, noticing their eyelashes and their hands and the way the sun hits their hair, just being fully there and bringing your brain back to it, it's a form of meditation. So it's actually caring for yourself as well. But it doesn't have to mean like, no, I'm a clown because you want me to be a clown. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So good. It's so true. Yeah, man. I love this. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. I have a million more questions, but maybe I'll we'll come have back to back on then. I was about to say maybe we'll invite you back for a part 2. I just so appreciate your wisdom and the gracious way and the honestly comical way that you show up online to teach and uh, inspire parents all around the world. And I can't wait for um, everyone listening to check out your website, your social media, so they can see it all for themselves. But Mary, thanks for being at a longer table today. Oh, it was lovely. 